Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The music ready. Let me go down right here and find it. There it is. You forgot to set it up, didn't you? Uh-huh. Da, 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 da. I wish it was that music. Da. Welcome to Peach State Pandemonium, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network, where we take you down memory lane for a look at professional wrestling the way it used to be, with conversations from those who paved the way. And now, the GWH Radio Network presents Peach State Pandemonium. Good evening, and welcome to Peach State Pandemonium for Thursday, May 25th, 2017. This is Michael Norris. Along with my co-hosts, Bobby Simmons, Jerry Oates, and Jay West. Uh, the gang's all back together again. One of our rare occasions. But uh, what's going on in the world with you guys this evening? I- I've already heard Jay. Guys, we're going to have to hold a car wash or something for Jay. <laughs> a-, a cakewalk, a bake sale, something. Mike said I have uh, surpassed him in uh, things that have uh, taken place to the to the body. So I don't know, but uh, still breathing. That's good. Without an iron lung. Well, tell them what happened. Oh well, I wonder how many people would know what an iron lung was if you if you sprung that on them to sprung that on them today. Uh, anyway, uh, I broke my breastbone. You know, I've got this osteoporosis. I've had it for a couple of years now, but it's only been diagnosed for about a year and diagnosed for about a year, and I got up out of the chair, and the damn thing popped, and I saw stars. And, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, it's not like uh, a rib breaking exactly, but it's uh, it's similar. It's kind of like doing open-heart surgery. You know, they've got to go into the uh, breastbone there first, but uh, it, uh, it, it hurts. But the doctor said that uh, it has to heal on its own. They showed me the CAT scan of it. And uh, it's really bizarre looking when you when you see the thing because it looks like it's uh, just something hanging on by a shred. But but it's uh, you know the top's broken from the bottom and and uh, there you are. So Mike said he gave up after uh, hearing about that about uh, what you can do to yourself. Well, if he, but if I'm you, still here. You felt it and saw stars and you know what it was like to to be hit by Ox Baker now. Is that right? Either on purpose or accidentally. It's about was about the same either way. <laughs> oh man. That that music I was doing a minute ago, da 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 if anybody knows about comics of the seventies and the early eighties, a guy named Art Petrano, uh he uh he did a a magician's act which was supposed to be bad, you know, bad on purpose. And uh, he didn't have any music. He would just sing that music. Yeah, and he would do uh, bad uh, uh, magician tricks. But the but the but the uh, audience would laugh 
like crazy because he he would run out of breath, you know, and he'd have to breathe again uh, singing his his music. But uh, it's one of those things you have to. It wouldn't go over on radio for sure, but you'd have to see it in order to, uh, to find the humor in it. But he was just kind of a funny looking guy anyway. But uh, he kind so of looked like would, a cross between Buddy Hackett and. Uh, um, uh, what was the other guy's name? Um, Marty Allen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, I saw him before he, you know, saw him on TV before he did that act. But once he started doing that act, that was pretty much all he did, you know. But uh, he he was good, and he did, you know, TV dramatic shows and and comedy shows, you know, not doing that. Bobby, are you doing a, a vacation Bible school? Yeah, not till the middle of July. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're wait, we waited till we waited to get vac, uh, vacations and uh, uh, high school graduations over and all that kind of good stuff, and then we do that in the middle of July. It worked out well last year, so we're going to try it again this year. You run it at night? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We go Monday through Friday from from six thirty to nine o'clock. Do, uh, do most of the people that uh, go to your church, do they live uh, right within that area? Some of them do and some don't. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very unique situation uh, that I have because I still have some people that still walk to church from the neighborhood. And yeah. I have some that have moved away or moved out and, and, st- and drive in. But uh, I do have some that still live there that still walk to church and have walked to church there for most of their lives. Has kids and have grown up, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I attended Bible school. When I was a kid, Bible school lasted two weeks. And it was always yes. in the morning. It ran from 9 to noon. And I went there till I was probably 13 or 14 uh, every year. Spent a couple of weeks there, uh, you know, during the summer at that Bible school. And it was, uh, but now it's, uh, there's, most of the kids, there's not that many kids in the neighborhood anymore. The neighborhood has become very, uh, uh, very chic in that it's uh, been turned into a historic district. Very, a lot of young people. Uh, if I could run some kind of dog obedience school or dog training school, I'd probably have a sellout because everybody right. over has dogs, but they have very few kids that they walk around the neighborhood with. And, with their uh, dogs. Kind of, me, me and Randy. Yeah. I had a. I requested, and one of my deacons and another fellow built me a bench. In front of the church, and me and Randy, and especially this time of year when it's pretty, we'll sit outside before church, after church, uh, and watch people walk their dogs, because most of the dogs look better than the people. <laughs> and we just we sit out there, and uh, you know, not that we make fun of people, we just watch. Sure, and a lot, a lot of people, those folks that live over there, got money. You know, oh yeah, uh, you know, oh, very much. You've so. heard that? I mean, I've heard that term all my life. Oh, they got money, but. It's become a real kind of chic neighborhood, as you said. I probably uh, I probably told this, I don't know, but when I was about 8 or 10 years old, the house that I grew up in, we rented it for $50 a month, and was uh, my mom was offered the house for $8,000. And my mom wouldn't buy it, said it was too much money. And uh, uh-huh. nine years ago, when I went to pastor the church over, over there, uh, I rode up the street, and they were having an open house, and the house I grew up in was for sale. And uh, yeah. it sold very shortly after the open house for three hundred and eighty-five thousand dollars. Oh, oh, oh! Doesn't that make your head hurt just to so. just think about that? And you know, and how much eight thousand dollars was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, during the other part of the, your life? Yeah. I, I'm 
about 10 years older than you, and I, I went to uh, Presbyterian Church at East Point when I was uh, between, uh, I was christened there up until 12 years old when we moved to the other side of uh, East Point. And uh, we had vacation Bible school in the daytime back then. This was in, the, like I said, the middle 50s, uh, because I guess a lot of the mothers didn't work. But at any rate, we would say the... Uh, 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 one nation under God, invisible. Pledge of allegiance. We, but, yeah, pledge of allegiance. Thank you, Mike. My, my breastbone was acting up there. Uh, but at any rate, uh, that was uh, while we were having vacation Bible school was when they put under God uh, after one nation. And uh, that was a really big thing to think about now, how they don't want to have that in the Pledge of Allegiance or anything anymore. And yeah. Yeah, and in this farm down there, close to where you live, that's a historic site. They have the some of the citizens are aghast at even having to look at the Confederate battle flag, and uh, they have taken the Confederate battle flag yeah. down from. They're fixing to close it uh, down. They're going to yes. close it down. They took yeah, the high I, road. You know, I, I, you know, I'm. I don't. I try very hard not to uh, to uh, force my beliefs or, or my, my political views or any of that stuff on on anyone. But I'm gonna say this: <laughs> well, you're absolutely right. We're in a we're, we're in a country now where people they don't want to acknowledge God. They don't want to. Uh, they don't want. To, they're just. They're so. We've become so afraid of symbols and flags and sayings and beliefs and what other people believe. Uh, I'm gonna tell you something. You look back at the fifties when we were, when we were. Uh, you guys are, uh, you and Jerry are just a little older than me, not much. But but you look back when you were kids and I was kids, the 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 difference in the way things were in the core values of this country and what they were. Yes. And and we wonder we wonder why we've gone south and why they are like they are now, and people are driving. Well, Driving yes. bombs into into concert halls full of kids and you know yes. uh, you know nobody wants to acknowledge it until that happens and they don't want to know so. where he's at <laughs> you know uh, anyway, but I'm anyway um, before we get into so Jay Jay had wanted to uh, he didn't get a chance to um, talk about what. Uh, what he had read about Michael J. Michael Kenya, I guess, was in the the Observer J. That they had they did something wrote yeah, something was, up on him. Yeah, it was in the uh, it was in the uh, May fifteenth issue, and you know I talk about the Observer from time to time. It it had uh, bad taste in its mouth for a lot of the members of the business for a long, long time because they thought the Observer was uh, you know opening up the business and giving away. Uh, things that they shouldn't have been doing. So uh, Dave Meltzer had a lot of a lot of trouble for a lot of time trying to get information for the for the magazine. I've been a reader for about 35 years, but uh, now it's getting flack because people are saying, "Hey, you're not putting that information in there. You're all, you're talking about MMA and and uh, you know these these kind of things and not talking about old school wrestling." Well, once again, we all know that old school wrestling is, is getting harder and harder to talk about because a lot of the folks that uh, you know were involved during our era aren't around anymore and in order to keep a business going you've got to find something to put into it 
But uh, Mike had mentioned uh, Kenyon uh, a couple of weeks ago, J. Michael Kenyon, and I'd heard the name, but I wasn't really all that familiar with him. Uh, but our friend Scott Teal uh, sent in a article on uh, Kenyon, and uh, we all know Scott, uh, historian that he is, and if, if if he says that it's it's pretty much true. But, but Kenyon, uh, he had five wives, and uh, that seems like a lot, even by Johnny Carson standards. But uh, his last wife, Joan, he was married to for 23 years. But he was one of these guys that would shoot himself in the foot, from what I have read here in Skid Teal's article. Uh, he uh, was on the air one time doing a radio show. He walked off, uh, you know, right right in the middle of the show. And he was that confident enough in his ability to get his job, get a job that uh, he could walk out the door and pretty much find him one. The same thing was true uh, working in the newspaper business. But... Uh, one of the things that I thought was a little bit more over the top than anything else was that in June, this this is uh, taking Scott Teal's words here, and Scott had a four-and-a-half page uh, or four-and-a-half uh, side section in here on uh, the story on Kenyon, but he said in June 68, before he married the second time, uh, this is Kenyon, his fiance accepted his proposal on the condition he changed his name. The name Michael Glover, which was his uh, real name, didn't appeal to her. He agreed and changed his name to J. Michael Kenyon. Uh, the name was conceived when he drove past a building in Linwood, Washington, uh, Michael Kenyon, but he thought it was too short in the byline for the Seattle uh, Post. They, they they elongated it a little bit, uh, but here's the good thing, or the odd thing, the lady that he married, his second wife, uh, due to in, irrecons- what do you call it, irreconcilable differences, six weeks after the we- wedding, JMK left a note on the couch that said, I'm leaving, took a bus to Detroit where he wandered the streets dead broke while working for two fledgling local magazines. He eventually called the managing editor of the Post Intelligence and secured a job with the uh, newspaper and television critic. The job didn't last too long. He left the Post Intelligence in 1969 when he was ordered to write about Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landing on the moon. He may have been one of these guys that didn't believe it really happened. Uh, He refused and eventually typed a resignation letter, which he took to KVI Radio and uh, read it on the air. But, you know... We know of strange guys or, or guys that are, you know, pull odd things and in the businesses we've been in, and I don't think the radio business was a lot different from the wrestling business uh, and certainly not the music business. But, you know, you think about people having certain levels of talent and just to blow them like that, just walk out the door. Uh, I really don't know whether to think of them as being, uh, you know, above normal in, in abilities or somebody that's just a, an extreme oddity. But uh, that's just one more of the guys that, uh, whether even though he didn't step into the ring to uh, actually work a match, he did work as a manager later on. Uh, he had great ties to the wrestling business, and he knew a lot of the people that, uh, particularly uh, Bobby and, and, and uh, you know, you guys uh, – you through your travels throughout the business. 
but I just thought that uh, when Mike mentioned him, I needed to do a little bit more research uh, to uh, find out what this guy was really about. And he was he was an oddity. He was a character. Yes. He was a character. Well, I had come up with a with a question in my mind uh, earlier this week, and I I didn't know the answer to it. I don't know what made me think about it, but. And I I was going to pose this question to Bobby and Jerry. Uh, Bobby, because of his dealings in in and out of the office and and dealing with the different guys on that level, and Jerry with working in so many different territories and traveling with with different guys. For some reason, the question came in my mind about Japanese wrestlers, and I'm not talking about guys like Charlie Tanaka and Fuji and those guys who were were actually Hawaiian who, you know, portrayed Japanese wrestlers, or guys like Baba and Inoki and Tenru and those guys who came over here basically for tours and then went back and spent most of their career and lived in Japan. But there were guys that we all came across in the business, guys like Saito and, and uh, uh, Yasufuchi and, and uh, Chetty Yaguchi and, and uh, guys like this who worked, you know, 10, 15, 20 years and worked every territory. I'm assuming they were over here on some sort of, of work visa, but did how did they have to, when they say they moved from one territory to another, did they have to renew that? Do you guys know? We never had any dealing with it at the office. I mean, we they, they took care of their own paperwork. I, I, I never not one time had to deal with anybody's visa or anything. The only ones I know, I mean, I'll I'll get right back on what we were talking about. I know when I was in Kansas City, a lot of boys from Canada would come, and they'd only have like a three months working visa, and when it was up, they were gone. But but the uh, guys like Matt Suda, and of course he come over and stay forever. I mean, I don't. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Guys like Matt Suda and Akio Sato that ended up living here. I would imagine they they eventually became, you know. Citizens who applied for citizenship, but I'm thinking of the other guys, you know, like Mr. Ito. Um, uh, I can't even remember his real name, Uyeda or something like that. You guys all know who I'm talking about. He ended up back in Japan just, you know, a couple years before he died, but for the most part, he lived in Pensacola. But, I mean, he worked every territory. He worked California. He worked Georgia. He worked Florida. He worked the Gulf Coast. He worked, you know, Tennessee. He worked everywhere. And I was—it's just you know—it was just an odd question for me. And you know, I've—I had heard stories all my life about the the Mexican guys that would come work for Gulas, and he'd collect up their their passports or visas or whatever, <laughs> and would hold them ransom so they couldn't leave him. Yeah. Um, That's but I just—I I just always wondered about that. And I worked with Saito, and. It, of course, I, I wasn't going to ask him questions anyway. I, I barely, you know, I, I just said yes, sir, or no, sir to him. But, uh, you know, I just, I would have never thought to ask him that question. But there was another one. He he first came here in 68, and he stayed here for 20 years before he went back to Japan. That's a very interesting question, Mike. Uh, I don't know how the uh, uh, rules are different from then as they are to now. But you'd think a guy would have to have 
coming into the states uh, if they were going to work, if they weren't on just a vacationer permit, that they would have to have paperwork showing that they had a job when they got here. Yeah, that's why I was was wondering if the office was involved and somehow is showing that they're either sponsoring them. I know I know in Amarillo, you know, guys like Tenru and and guys like that that they brought in Fujinami and and uh, Saruta that they brought in to work that that territory to train with the Funks. They pretty much sponsored them and and had them stuff like that. But there again, those guys were only here for you know, a year or so, and then they went back and, and spent the bulk of their career in Japan. But but you think about all the, the various Japanese Rising Sun tag teams that, that worked all the territories back in those days, you know. There were, it was usually, you know, five or six different guys. It was one combination or another of them. Um, you know, Ota and Koma and Okoma and, and guys like that that, were, that worked everywhere, you know. It's just it was that an odd a, question. I just didn't know the answer to it. I didn't know question. if you guys would or not. Well, uh, question and here again, don't know. But, you know, some of those guys, some of those guys came in here and married American women. And I and uh, you That's know true. I know the immigrations have changed a great deal, but back in the day, if you married an American citizen, you were allowed to stay. Right. And I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not. But I'm thinking like like you mentioned Sato. You know, Sato, he drives a, you know, he lives in Kansas City, he drives a truck. Right. I think he drives for, he, I want to say he drives for UPS. But he, you know, uh, I didn't get to see him this year. He didn't come to Vegas this year, but last year he was there, and I spent a lot of time yep. with him, but. Uh, well, he married a girl from here, so. You know, he that, see, that's what I'm girl. thinking. Yeah, he was married to Betty Nikolai. And so. You know that's. I don't know if they flew under the radar back then. I don't know. It was probably a lot more lax. You know, I don't know. Like Yasu Fuji, who was in the Kansas City, he was out there. I don't know how long. Yeah, I know that was George Yasu yeah, Fuji. Uh, yeah, he sure was. And uh, and, and there again, you had guys like Tanaka Fuji, and those guys were that were actually Americans because they were they were. Um, Hawaiian, Kenji Shibuya was another one, uh, Mitsu Arakawa, they were all Hawaii, actually Hawaiian. Tojo Yamamoto, was he was Japanese, but he grew up in Hawaii. Even even Duke Kiyomuka was born in Los Angeles, so I'm assuming his parents were of Japanese descent, and, but he was born an American citizen. Um, you know, his real name was Martin Tanaka. Duke Kiyomuka's was. Bobby, when you send out IRS stuff at the end of the year to these guys that were, you know, just on tours, how would you send that stuff out? We we always the guys the guys here. One of the one of the requirements, the, the only requirement that the Atlanta office had, they had to have a they had to have an active social security number. That's all. I would give the guys a card, you know, put your ring name, your real name, your permanent address, and your social security number. And the only thing we ever verified was social security numbers to make sure they were active. Now, if a guy gave me a bad social security number or gave me someone else's and it was active, I had no way to know. All I was checking was the validity. And, and like, Charlotte Harbor's brother George worked for Jim Crockett up in the uh, Charlotte office. And I never laid eyes on George, but me and George were buddies because I would call George 
you know, every once twice a week or once every couple of weeks to verify that somebody up there had given him the same information I had, and he would do the same with me. Because we were fined at the end of the year. If we had a guy that had worked here we had paid, and we didn't have a Social Security number on him, we wound up paying IRS a fine for not having a number. So that's all, all we right. ever checked. So were they all good? Man, the numbers were active. I can't tell you that they weren't, so I don't know. Uh, could have belonged to their grand, you know, to their could have been anybody, yeah. But you know, Gallup, I just can't believe that these guys, some of them, as long as they were here, uh, got away with it that long. They, I believe, they had to be. You know, most of them were probably legit, but how I don't know. That was something we and Jerry, never got. Jerry mentioned Canadians. I mean, yeah, there was, you know, even even oh, there, there was hundreds of Canadians. And I know I know Bill Dromo kept. He had a dual citizenship. I don't know if Ronnie right. Garvin. I'm assuming he kept a dual citizenship as well. Um, but you think of all the guys that came out of Hamilton, the, the Tolos brothers and Sharp brothers, and all that, that that ended up staying. You know, Pepper Martin. Um, I mean, you like say that, dual citizenship. Were, See, that's a good question. I'm not sure ever. I'm not sure Bill ever became an American citizen. He just. Paid, I think he told he, me one time that he had a, he had had a dual citizenship. I'm but not maybe sure. Not. He may I, not have. I know he never. He never. Yeah, he never denied his Canadian, his Canadian roots and his Canadian citizenship. But I do. You know, he paid. I do. He paid. Uh, you know, he paid American taxes and he did everything he had to do here because. He was able to draw his Social Security, you know, in, in, in right. latter years in his life. But but it was, I know he was he was always a Canadian citizen. So yeah, I don't care how that was. He had a brother that was a cop, right, Bobby? Yeah, that's what he told me. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew exactly how that dual citizenship worked, but I think the citizenship that was the one you were coming from had to be a friendly nation to the. United States, first of all, and uh, then the way you filed for your American citizenship, that all had to be, you know, worked out before you raised your hand. Uh, but, uh, yes, famous people, partic- movie stars particularly, uh, hold your dual citizenship. Well, another name just popped in my mind, uh, El Mongol, Raul Molina. He was from, from Mexico. Um, so, you know, I'm assuming he, 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 his wife was Spanish as well, or Mexican as well, so, I don't know, it's just a, just an odd thing, and, and, you know, what do you put on, on your, your visas or something, if, if you were, you know, I guess you would put professional wrestler, stuntman, actor, something on there. I know Don Carr, Rocky McGuire told me when Don Carson filled out his income tax every year, he listed his occupation as an actor rather than professional wrestler. So, just. Well, that was a very good question, Michael. I got to tell you, that's, you know, when I. Nobody's got the answer. (laughs) But to Bobby's point, I mean, guys moved around the way they did. They may very well have been able to fly under the radar, but, but. How many officers were as sticklers as as Barnett's office was, you know, and the Crockett's office as far as keeping 
Tazzle, but I know I know the Goulas office kept similar things, and so did the Florida office because I've seen the index cards listing the the names, real names, social security numbers, and all that stuff. Um, well, most of the offices were pretty. Like I say, most of the offices, as far as they were concerned, you know, we considered the guys independent contractors. Yep. Which you mentioned Dromo again. Dromo never, ever, ever filed income taxes as an independent contractor. And, and you know, it, it's it's one of those little technicalities that, that always was that puzzled me too. When I went to work for, when I went to work for for uh, the company that I worked for, for so many years, I originally went there as a courier, and I signed a contract with them, and they call me an independent contractor. Right. Well, an independent contractor, by definition, is a person you hire to do a job. You hire them to pr- provide a service for a yes. fee, whatever that fee is. And that's yes. the way they looked at the courier thing. I was to provide a truck and a driver available five days a week between the hours of 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. to deliver goods for this company and uh, the driver being myself. And they would pay me a fee for each service I provided. Now yeah, you had a certain amount of leeway in how you right, did that. By contract. However, they told me what time to be there. They told me what time I could leave. They told me what yes. I could wear, what I could not wear. You know, and I told them, I said, y'all are, I said, this is a, I told my boss, I said, it's a wonder I stayed there as long as I did. I said, this is a scam. I said, you just don't want to pay yeah. Social Security. Yep. I said, because. You're by definition, I'm no more of an independent contractor than than than, than anything, and uh, it was the same thing in the wrestling business. Even though Jerry Oates came to my territory or my office to work for me, and he's an independent contractor, and I'm going to pay him to be a wrestler. Most promotions told him what he could wear and what he couldn't wear to the yes. arena. They told him what time he had to be there. They told him yes. what time he had to leave. They told him yep. what they wanted him to do and what he wasn't supposed to do, and if he didn't do yes. any of that stuff, he could be fired. So it was all in the way it was worded. We really weren't independent contractors. We worked for everybody we went to work for. Yeah, yeah they exactly. used the kind they used the term <clears throat> "let go," and uh, you know, as compared to fired in many cases. But the same, no matter how you said it, you were out of a job. Yeah, and I'm you know I'm sure radio industry and everybody else you had to sign a contract and no competes and all this kind of good stuff. It, but it was just you know it was, it's all in the way it's worded. Yeah, so. and it's, in the wrestling business you would have that deal where you'd be you know blackball the term there particularly I would think as an independent contractor if you just walked out, uh, which an independent contractor is supposed to be able to do once he completes his requirements for whatever he's been paid but if you were to walk out you know uh it may be tough to get a job in the next uh you know well, office. You, you developed a reputation that blackballing thing in the wrestling business the only promoter i know in the country that sent out a blackball list was was nick Goulas. yeah and and the other uh, promoters laughed at it because you could be you could go up there for Nick, and he could fire you, or you could walk off, or you know whatever, and he'd say, "Well, I'm gonna blackball you." If you came to Ray Dunkel or Eddie Graham or whoever or Lee Fields, 
and they looked at you and said, hey, this cat can make me some money. They didn't care what they thought about <laughs> you. Say. Well, that, you. That's, 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 go ahead, Jerry. That's the way it was about, I think, with those visas. If you could draw them money and you was from yep. the center of the earth, they'd run they'd you off yeah. the book. <laughs> that's the way the yeah. business runs. I don't care yeah. yeah. about it. That just made anything else yeah. Pale in comparison, and uh, a contractor would be somebody like a painter. Yeah. I come to your house, I give you a price, you hire me, I do the job, and I'm gone. That's an independent contractor or a carpenter. Mm-hmm. I this is just like Bobby said. That was the first. How they got away with that? I, I don't know. Yeah, blackballing would be for a young guy that uh, was starting out, and if he didn't, uh, you know, it, it it could have an effect on his career because he really didn't have much of a career up to that point. Uh, but independent contractors, yes, uh, I always heard that term in relation to the wrestling business. It's certainly not that way now. The WWF, got, WWE's got everybody uh, locked up like a major criminal. They, you know, with they the still consider them independent contractors, though. That's they true. They still consider them. And you, you know, the thing about, money? you know, Jerry's talking about we were no more independent contractors. You know, when you paid your income tax at the end of the year, man, we were penalized. You know, a lot of guys, if they made any money at all, the IRS would nail them and they'd have to pay quarterly. Uh, or they would, uh, you know, it was, it was. I mean, there was a, a lot of penalties and things that went along. Uh, I mean, I learned the hard way, buddy. You better keep very accurate records. Yep. yep. I hope you've got somebody too. that knows their business about your taxes because as a referee, I went through a lot of, I went through a lot of pants. Because the knees would wear out in my pants, you know, sliding on those mats, and yep. and I was I was not one of those. I didn't just walk over and kneel down. I would slide and jump across a guy and slide, or you know, just trying to to, to put a little effort into it. But sorry, uh, you that. I, you know, I would wear those. I'd wear the knees out in my pants, and but you didn't put you didn't put patches on them, and you know, if you showed up on TV with patches on your pants. Oh, they'd have sent me home. <laughs> yeah. So, unfortunately, back in the day, my waist size was such I could stop at any Kmart or Walmart and, you know, for ten bucks buy a pair of double knit black pants. And and trust me, I, I did many times. They went through a couple of deals where they put. <coughs> I, I don't remember. I can remember, I can remember Scrappy, uh, where they put you in jumpsuits and, uh, 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 you know, different kind of apparel. Uh, that wasn't your standard. Like Me and Ronnie that. West were the first ones to do that and I, that I know of. We got That's together one night. K and H show did it, Bobby. Yeah, we call it, we they were the they were K and H. They were made out of the same thing as wrestling trunks were made out of. Uh, I wore you couldn't, uh, you couldn't wear them out to save your life. We would wear the long pants and the uh, we started out with we bought a black set and a burgundy set and uh, Ronnie wound up buying a blue one too. But but it, we bought the long pants. Uh, that you could order from K&H. You'd just order them like you would a pair of trunks, your waist size and your length. And then I uh, I, I wore the shirt that had the full zipper in the front. And uh, we we bought those, and best investment we ever made. They cost a little more to buy them, but you could not wear them out because they were made out of the same material that the trunks were made out of. That's the best material I've ever seen. Yes, sir. I still mm-hmm. got trunks. You could not wear them out. 
Jerry, did you ever come across any of the old timers that still wore wool tights when you were beginning? Think of some of the old guys that you you wrestled with. No, I remember Dicky. Dicky still had some. But good lord, those things were, and they were thick and they were horrible. He'd given me a pair or two, but you, you couldn't wear those things. Those things, man. <laughs> Angelo Popo told me one time. He said they were so bad. He's somewhere, and I don't know where he was, but he said, he said they had to go do TV in the afternoon. And then they would go to the house show, and it was like, like it sounded very similar to what we had here, where you just had no time at all. You had to just jump in your car and go. And he told me one time that he was, uh, he got stopped by the police. And when they stopped him, other than having his boots on, he was naked because he he jumped. He had a convertible. He said, and he said he jumped in the car and he was going wherever. And he said those wool trunks. He said he was sweating and he got to itching and they were just bothering him something oh. awful, and he just slipped them down and let them slide all the way down, and he slipped them off his feet where they were laying in the floorboard, and he got stopped Uh-oh. by the police. Uh-oh. And he said, fortunately, he had an understanding cop that that was a wrestling fan, but he said, yeah, them wool trunks would drive you absolutely crazy. I've never heard of them. Don't know how they were. Yeah. When did when when was they when were they popular and when did they start to really fade away? They were still they were popular up through the fifties. I don't know when yeah. you know I don't know when K and H became came about or when they switched to those whatever whatever our tights were or trunks were back in the rayon double knit or whatever they were well, the double knit yeah. <clears throat> um. But uh, Luthes, you know, if you if you ever read his book, he talks about it. And a lot of the old timers uh, would wear the, the the trunks, but then wear the long tights as well. And then the, if you see pictures of the old timers with those long tights, the, the knees are are leather. But you know, they would when it's when they those things get wet from you sweating like that and then they grab you in a head says there's no way you're going to get out of it no matter how you know <laughs> cuz that stuff just sticks to you i cannot imagine i don't even know that i've ever owned anything wool other than maybe a sweater a time or two i, I, I never had any of those trunks when i, I first and i don't know about jerry but when i first I was probably 15 or 16 when I bought my first stuff from K&H. And I think trunks back then were, you you could buy them online for about $6. If you got them lined, they might have been $8. They were so inexpensive. Yeah, and they boot, weren't much. First pair of boots I ever bought from K&H to give $10 for them. Mm. I mean, it was just very inexpensive. But it, but but K and H was a K I mean, you had to know somebody to get a catalog mm-hmm. to get a phone number, because the guy sure the guy worked out of the basement of his house. Well, I tell you what, that was that, that was the most durable equipment I ever bought. Mm-hmm. Ever. I mean, it, a pair of trunks if you took care of them and washed them right, and then, I mean, they, they'd last you, you know. Because I had a lot of trunks, you know, just I'd rotate them, you know, of course, but they would last years. Yeah, that hold their color and everything. 
Have you? I just wonder what they did with all their Indian print material that they used to make. Remember, that every Indian had to have the ones with the the arrows on them. Rocket and Sputnik had had them too. And the, Any and of you the, guys uh, still got a catalog? I do. I no, I've got a, pictures a on album. my computer of one, but I don't have a catalog anymore. I actually, I got a physical catalog still. And what besides? Uh, just give a brief summary of all the things that would be covered in there, Bobby. They would sell boots. Um, uh, at one time, they sold. If you remember Wrestling Two, Wrestling Two, uh, John wore short boots. They were very, not very tall. Ten inch. They were yeah. like a they were like an eight inch boot, and then they sold an eight inch and a ten inch. So depending on how tall you were, and one one was like the first one I saw was like eight and ten dollars. They were, and yeah, they came in black or white. Mm-hmm. And then you could order trunks, and they would have a low waist band, which. I'm trying to give you the difference of somebody you might have seen. Like Argentina Apollo would wear a low waistband because he had the real good body. I don't, I don't, Jerry, did you wear the high waistband or the low? Uh, That's what I always wore. But the high waistband would be like Jerry wore, Rocket Monroe wore, Sputnik wore. Uh, it was a, just, it was a little taller, little taller trunk. You could order the leggings. Uh, you could order the, the, the shirts. Like the Assassins wore, you could order the Tarzan outfit, like Jerry Graham wore. Tarzans, the Butchers. You could get uh, Dicky Dicky Steinborn wore the stripes. They call it was called a Butcher, and Dicky always right. ordered the what he called a low cut Butcher, which came way down by his belly button, and then he wore the low cut trunks over it. Ted, when Ted used to wear the Butcher, he didn't wear the trunks outside. He just wore the Butcher. He had the undertights on. Which yeah, you that's what I did. I wore the from. Butcher. Like that, and Bob Armstrong. They also made an uh, a singlet that was called the Olympian, which right. is what uh, it, it, the difference in it was. It was narrower. The straps on the butchers were were fairly wide, and it, it had a big opening in the front, and then this a deep opening in the back. And you, it it came with a an optional strap where you could sew uh, across your back, across the back, where yeah. it kept the two shoulder straps in place. Mm-hmm. But the the Olympic, if you think of guys like Tony Charles and uh, Les Thornton, Bob Roof, they they were they were like that except they were narrow and kind of almost V-necked in the front, and then uh, were up just below the nape of your your neck in the back as far as the back straps went. Um, you could order, then, you could like order Bobby them. said, the tar, the Tarzan, yeah, the single strap. You could order you could order the pants like like with the referees outfits we wore the shirts with a zipper up the front you could order the shirts with what they called a Byron collar which was an open collar with wide lapels uh, uh, which I used to wear Mask. a lot just just wear it around mask uh, like wrestling two wore that was the style they had uh, you could get them with the with the uh, facing on it or without uh, they sold ring jackets made out of uh, uh, I don't know what the material was, but it looked like sequins. Uh, and and you could get balloon sleeves or straight sleeves. And, uh-huh. and it was, uh, you could call them, if they knew you, you could call up there and tell them what you wanted. And in three days, you'd have it. And they would send it to you, COD. You didn't even have to send them a wow. dime. Mm-hmm. 
back. And, and it was just, uh, I mean, it was, uh, they had anything. If you told them what you wanted, they'd make it for you. And the colors, the yeah. color, you know, you could do it any way you wanted to. Wrestling, too, wore white trunks with a black waistband. You could, yeah. any combination you wanted, if that's what you wanted. You could have stripes down both sides, or the sides of your trunks if you wanted. Uh, if you wanted the long leggings, you could tell them what color, what color knee pads you wanted. If you wanted stripes or not. I mean, any combination you could imagine that you saw the guys wore back then, I'd say probably 95% of the guys during the 60s, 70s, uh, everything they had came from K&H. When did they go out of business, Bobby? Do you know? They're still in business. They're still around. You kidding me? No, nope. it's it's... <laughs> It's nothing like it was, but they're still around. Uh, did, did Wrestling 2's wife only make ropes? Was that was her, you know, that that was what she she made? She made ring jackets and robes. Ring yes, jackets, I, I robes, never knew yeah. her to make anything else. Uh, I've got, uh, uh, matter of fact, over here in my little case in my living room, i got a ring jacket she made for me that's over here. There, there's, was, yeah, she was, you she know, was pretty, she was pretty much uh, in demand for the for the for the better known guys, right? I mean, that's that's who you went to, depending on what you wanted. Yeah, yeah. If you, know, you, if you think about, you could tell they were. It's almost like championship belts. You could look at the style of it and tell who made it. You think of. Uh, the Welches, uh, Roy Lee Welch, Jackie Welch, Ricky Gibson, they had those those puff sleeve jackets that had uh, they were they had uh, like um, big wide um, collars on them and puff sleeves, and they were usually uh, two different colors. If you can can picture in your head what I'm talking about, those were all made by. Um, um, Lucille Welch or um, help me out, Bobby. What was Bobby Fields' wife's name? Evelyn. Evelyn. Yeah. And and uh, Speedy Hatfield's wife, Bonnie Bonnie Welch, made those for the. You know, if you look at pictures of of all the uh, a lot of members of the of the Welch family, that's that's they all wore that style jacket. Jimmy Golden wore them. Uh, Robert Fuller wore them. Sure, um, I, I can see him in my head. If you if you if you know what I'm talking about, um, yeah. yes, Jerry, you and you and Ted and, and the the Briscoes wore those uh, like short sleeve um, baseball type jackets. Where did you get those? I, I got them. I got mine out of Columbus. Had them lettered. Because you guys the and the neat, Briscoes that are the was only ones that was such I, a I, neat look. The 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 the, colli- the collegiate warm up look or or the basketball warm up look and I, and I, and the neatest one that, I mean the the one that I love better than anything was the one that had the state of Georgia on the back of it and it said I'm from Dixie or I'm from Georgia or something that was my that jacket was, yeah oh I loved it I thought that was such a neat jacket yeah it was gorgeous I had that thing for years and I don't even know wh- where it is I don't know where it is. I had that made in Columbus. I ordered the jacket and then had the lettering made. 
and Ted and I, we were in Kansas City. I had a jacket that said, I'm from Dixie on mine, and on the back of his, he, it said, me too. <laughs> <laughs> some people got it, some didn't. But. Did uh, During your career, particularly working in the, the northern or the midwestern areas, uh, Jerry, did you ever uh, – kind of make any kind of deal out of the fact that other than the ring jacket you're mentioning uh, that you guys were from the South? Well, they knew the, the way I talked. When I went to well, Portland, they, go ahead. you know, they, they used to ask me about uh, uh, Billy Carter and planes and on TV. I told them I played on Billy <laughs> Carter's softball team. <laughs> Uh, then they, they thought I was drunk when I told them that. But <laughs> you know, I've noticed that about guys in the music business and the radio business, uh, uh, in the military. Uh, you know, they move around so much that they they develop either on purpose or just by speech patterns that they develop kind of a generic accent. They don't really sound like you know where they were born sometimes. And you go back to your hometown and they say, Well aren't you an uppity something or something? You don't don't sound and, like you want That's exactly no what happened to me. When I left Mobile, Alabama, my my Alabama draw was so thick I worked specifically on getting rid of it when I moved to Atlanta. And yeah. uh the first time I went home and was around a bunch of guys that I went to school with, they all looked at me like, You talk funny I said, yeah. no, you talk funny. I don't anymore. That's I used right. to talk funny. <laughs> you yeah. sure don't. You don't at all. Even though well, you know, well, I didn't think I did either, but when I was in uh, traveling with the circus, especially when I was in New York, people could nail right away. They would ask me where I was from, and I'd always tell them yeah. Brooklyn. Now, you're not from Brooklyn. Brooklyn. I said, yeah, I'm from South Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, back during my day in radio, uh, uh, the 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, even though it's not a big deal anymore because people have d- developed that personality style, but you had to rid yourself of the Brooklyn accent and or the Southern accent. You had to sound like what became known as the Johnny Carson accent. You had to sound as if you were from nowhere. Uh, you know, uh, that's just what was expected of you. Well, if you think about it, it's still that's still kind of prevalent now, especially in the the news division and stuff like news magazines on sure. television. If you go back and watch uh, um, anybody that's doing like twenty, twenty, sixty minutes, they, uh, it, they do what I call the Paula Zahn voice. They all sound like Paula Zahn, and she, she probably sounds yeah. like somebody else. But um, you know, it's a certain cadence in the way they say things, the way they phrase things, and it's you see it on the local news too. It's just, yeah, it's you know. a, it's, a, it's it's a non-accent accent, uh, and uh, you have to work hard uh, to rid yourself of that. And I had a guy named uh, Don Baird when I I went to a little broadcasting school before I went in the army. Don Baird worked at WSB uh, uh, radio, and he was a newscaster. And uh, I worked with him about six months, and uh, it was the best uh, training I ever got because, uh, you know, nobody could tell where I was from uh, when 
when when I finished, uh, you know, taking my training from him. You think about all the guys, the boys that had to do foreign gimmicks, you know, their whole career, like Ivan Koloff, who was a French-Canadian. Yeah. Hans Schmidt was a French-Canadian that had to, you know, do that fake German and fake Russian accent. Um, Von Rasky, he sounds nothing <laughs> like he did on his, his television interviews. And it's just, you know, I just, I can't imagine them... I don't know that I was ever around any of them that that, that, that even broke kayfabe. The worst that I was ever around that never broke kayfabe with a fake accent was Armand Hussein. He never spoke in a normal way. I mean, he always had that, that, you know, British tilt to his voice. The German guys all had that growl sound to them. You know, it was a very, and you can imagine what it did to their vocal cords. It uh, it, it couldn't have been good for them Yeah, if you ever talked to Ivan Koloff, you know, without him being Ivan Koloff, you talk to Jim Paris, his voice yep. was so so totally different because yep. it was high-pitched. The one that killed me the first time I heard him talk was Abdullah. He was supposed to be the yeah, same way. animal. Same he way. Talk way up. <laughs> but, you, you know, you don't realize, or I didn't realize, how tacky we talk, really. I mean, to you around someone like Al Hayes. I mean, every word was so proper, and I'm going, my. The uh, first time I was running him, he said, my God, man. He said, you don't use the English language. You abuse it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, he laughed, you know, like cried. You know I mean? But we do, you know. You know, Which which way? Which way? Or, or like, uh, I'm going to do something on one way or the other, you know. Yeah, utter. He, he, yeah, he, I mean. We do. We talk. We don't really. I mean, well, we speak American. If you think about it, uh, it's not the English. You know, the English brought their language over here, and we we modified it. Uh, Abused. Yeah, you yeah, know, in the and, south, we'll say we're going out and crank the car up. And then, yeah, first time they're gonna do what? <laughs> I knew a guy from New Jersey, New Jersey in the army, and uh, you know, uh, first time I said I'm going to go over yonder to get that. He said, there where? You go. Over yonder. He said, where's where's yonder? And, you know, I said, I'm going over there to get it. So, yeah, that became uh, that became uh, a very big deal. But there's just regionalisms like that, that, that the way they're called, that give yourself away very quickly, even if you have your accent pretty well under control. Hmm. But, you it, know, over uh, there, they've they got their own accents, you know, different parts of, like... Oh, oh, oh absolutely. You know, I was watching, yeah. the, you know, about that horrible bombing over there, and, and some of them, you know, that were there, some of them were talking, you couldn't even understand them. Yeah, yeah those, are, those are usually, yeah. like, Cockney. Um, yeah, a perfect exactly. example of that was uh, uh, John Foley. You think about John Foley, how he talked... You know, with with his Cockney accent versus Al Hayes or, or John Eagles, you know, yeah. the difference. Most, most of the most of the English really cringe over that Cockney accent. You know, they they you know because they drop they their H's. Every, they say they don't say Harry. They say Harry. Yeah, it's a very um, uneducated uneducated accent. 
You know, then you talk to somebody like Adrian Street, who's who's actually Welsh, and that's that's even even di- more different. And then and then there's little Billy Dundee, who was born in Scotland and raised in Australia. Yeah, and <laughs> he is a trip to talk to him. I used to have more fun listening to him talk because it would his would blur. He would say, you know, use Australia phrasing. But he had he still had a Scottish accent, so he's Dundee was funny to listen to him talk. Did uh, did the guys that uh, were, uh, you know, became uh, Indians or Russians or Germans, did did they just, you know, did they pick that up on their own, or did they actually have somebody to help them develop their your accents. Probably on their own, they all sounded alike to me. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think one was imitating the other one or whatever. And then you got Fritz von Erich, who was <laughs> Texan throughout. I don't, I don't know that he ever even tried to fake a, a German accent of any kind. I've never seen interviews of him. But I've seen. Matches of his from back in you know when he first started that gimmick, but I've never heard interviews from him. That's one of the things that that me being that's that's part of the the wrestling fan left in me. Uh, um, guys that I grew up reading about and and hearing about and all this stuff, I've been able to find matches of them and everything, but and watch their their ring work. But I have looked for so many to to find interviews with them, you know, promos or whatever, because I've always been curious about what they talked, what they sounded like. You know, Bull Curry, I, I would love to know what he sounded like, you yeah, know, as far as like doing his, his promos. He sounded like his uh, eyebrows. Uh, no, I don't know what he sounded <laughs> like. But, I mean, all my, I, you know, and, and and growing up in Mobile and hearing my grandfather talk about Mario Galindo <clears> and all this stuff and all this stuff, you know, when I finally met Mario, when he did a TV show, um, TV taping, one of the TV um, tapings I did in Dothan, he was there. There again, high-pitched, you know, almost feminine voice for this guy that was supposed to be so, so you know, rough and tough. I think the, the perfect example of, of somebody who fit their their reputation and their voice fit together perfectly was Sputnik. I can't think of anybody that fit. And, and there again, you had you had the three Monroe brothers. You had Sputnik with that that strict, you know, Midwest accent, and then you had Rocket with that Tennessee drawl gonna break somebody's leg, and then yeah. you threw in Flash That's from good, from exactly. New England. <laughs> and now he Flash, talked. That was right. With, that was right on. With with Yad and you know saying Yad and Kai and all that stuff. <laughs> Even though Flash the wasn't world. that bad, but but you know I think how they covered that is they 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 swore they all had different the same father but different mothers. <laughs> in their the in their advertising. The worst guy to open his mouth. The worst guy to open his mouth with a gimmick was Frank Morrell. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. I I Shut up, I care. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. He was, he was, he was, he was from the French part of uh, of Kingsport, Tennessee. <laughs> he must have been. 
<laughs> that was a real suspension of belief for fans that, uh, you know, knew him uh, using names prior to the French Angel. I think that's why he finally eventually dropped it and just was the angel after that. Yeah. Bobby's clock but says there's... 9 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> I was sitting here thinking, you know, one of the one of, one of the worst ones I remember, and it's not, it was not, it didn't have anything to do with an accident or not. When we first brought Tony Atlas, when when Ole first brought Tony Atlas down here, he had him under a mask as the Black Atlas, yeah. and yeah. all he would do is go out and stand behind Gordon, and somebody else would do the talking, and then they took the mask off of him, and he had to talk, <laughs> and it was sort of like. It was it, it went from being it was like like a letdown. I don't know what people were expecting, but 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 Tony was not the most articulate guy in the world. And I'll tell you another one the same way was Herschel Walker with the Bulldogs. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Here's this guy. that looks like a Greek god. He runs like a stallion, and he comes running out on the field, and then they interview him. <laughs> it's like, huh? <laughs> well, another one you can throw in that category was Mike Tyson, baddest man oh, on the planet during his day. And then, then that between the the Dusty Rhodes lisp and the, and the Abdullah the Butcher high voice. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't I don't see how people could be close to Tyson and not just totally break up when he would start to talk. That's that's you know, it was extremely humorous. Well, I guess they was afraid he'd bite the ear off or something. I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, or something, something like that, or something else to give him that high voice. But uh, you know, unbelievable. But you just think about all those guys that had to, you know. I guess that's why Armand Hussein never, never, you know, even when he was in the in the back around the other boys, it was just easier just to stay in stay in that mode. Did you um, say you heard his uh, natural voice, Mike? No, never. I was I never heard his natural voice. I, I knew guys that were were around him, you know, ten, twelve years that never heard his natural voice. You know, I, I think, think Kelly he, said he heard it one time. He stubbed his toe or bumped his head something in the dressing room, and let loose with a with a string of obscenities. It was the first time, the only time he ever heard him talk in a normal, you know, non-accented voice. The only time I was ever around him. Uh, he always traveled by himself. I don't know if that was except when he had midgets or... with him. Oh really? <laughs> well, that's a story Dean Silverstone's told about him and having some midgets and and one of them oh, fell in the floorboard of his car. <laughs> Continue, uh, sir, and tell us the rest of the story. About what? About the about... midgets? No, but no, no, about our Jerry was talking about Jerry, Jerry, Jerry was saying about the, uh, one time he heard him talking in his own voice, I guess. Did you? Oh, no, I didn't. No, I never did. Oh, okay. Okay. No, he, where was he from? He was originally from, uh, you know, I've heard Alabama. I've heard various, but I'm assuming he was originally from either Dallas or Houston because that's where he ended back up in, in that area. His name I was Mike that. Barber. Yeah. Was his name Mike Barber? Mike Barber. If you ever, 
the story Mike's referring to is in Dean Silverstone's book. Uh, they were coming somewhere back. They were up there in the Midwest in Washington or Oregon, and they were coming back, and Dean Silverstone and somebody else, and I don't remember who the other one was, was in the front seat, and Hussein and a little midget was in the back seat. And they said Hussein had this, this robe he wore to the ring that weighed about 100 pounds, and he said he would never put it in the trunk. He kept it in a suit bag, and he put it up on the rear deck of the car by the rear windshield. And... uh they got in a snowstorm coming back, and anyway, they wound up having to step on the brakes, and the car spun. They wound up hitting a tree or going off the road and broke a glass or whatever. And he said they all got out of the car, and they're all looking around, and they can't find the midget. And said they're, he said they're looking out in the snow, and they're, they're, they're crying out the guy's name, and they cannot find the midget. And he said they, they were afraid that the midget had went out through the window when the car you know, had, had had went out of control. Said so they're looking and looking and looking. He said they finally got back near the car and they could hear something going and they said that they looked in the back seat and that jacket that weighed about a hundred pounds, the midget had went in the floorboard and the jacket had come down on top of the midget and the midget couldn't get oh. out. Oh my god. And they god. said they finally got the jacket off the midget and he said the midget cussed for twenty minutes. About that jacket and how it ought to be in the trunk with the rest of the luggage. But yeah, they lost the midget in the snowstorm, so that's. Uh, you know which one? It, you know which one it was, Bobby? Which uh, uh, midget? It was. I have I no idea. It was a Haiti kid. I can't Maybe remember which one it said, but it's, kid, it's in Silverstone's book. It's it's a funny story. I guess all those midgets we work with are gone, huh? I think most of them are, if not all of them. Dagmar still alive. Little, little Diamond Lil still lost. alive. Little Do book what? we just lost. Little, little Tokyo, I think, is still alive. Is yeah, good? like Cowboy Cowboy Lang and Haiti Kid. Now, I don't know about Bobo Johnson. Um, well, I know why Lang's not around. He made trips with Murdoch Louisiana. <laughs> you know the thing about <laughs> him though, Lang. The last I heard, he was living. Where was it? He was living. I want to say it was in Seattle, and he was homeless. Gosh. But um, he's still living. No, no, no. When he died, that's that was. Oh, he oh. died about. Oh Lord, it's been eight, ten years ago. Really? Yeah. Oh, but yeah, um, most of the ones, uh, Little Bruisers, I'm sure is gone. I don't know about Frenchy Lamont. I think Frenchy Lamont is still alive. How about the Haiti kid? No, he's been, Kessler's been gone. He died about six, eight years ago himself. Now, some of the midget girls are around. Uh, as far as I know, Diamond Lil's still around. Uh, little uh, Dagmar. Dagmar's still around. Uh, Bobby's, uh, I don't know about Marie Laveau, whether she's still around or not, but I know. Uh, she went back to Louisiana, Dagmar told me, last time I saw her in Vegas. She said but she there's one that I, she that's on, uh, that just within the last year has come up on Facebook. I'm trying to think what her, Honey Girl Page. She's, uh, she's on Facebook now. So she's still around, but I wonder yeah, what, I know. what uh, you know. Moolah's complex got sold here 
fairly recently, so I'm, I'm wondering whatever become of Lil. Lil. Lil is still around. She's still alive. Uh, uh, again, that's the, the, per Dagmar. Uh, but the uh, uh, I don't I don't know about Princess Little Dove. I, uh, don't, I, I don't have any contact with any of them anymore. So. Dagmar and Lil were the only two girls that I knew, that I can think of. Well, they were the only ones for, from probably the late 60s until the mid-70s. They were the only ones around, and then uh, Marie Laveau and uh, Princess, Princess Little, Little Dove. Dove came along, and, and Honey Girl Page, and uh, and then that was, that was pretty much it. Were they booked by Moolah or did were they booked by Moolah? Yeah, they were. They were part of. They were all full of. They were part of Moolah's group. Yeah. See, see, Dagmar quit when I first when I went full time. uh, Well, when I came over to Barnett's office in '74, Dagmar got married and quit the business. So I was never in the ring with her. I never met her until she came to Mobile, probably ten years ago. But I couldn't. In my mind, you know, it's funny. We've talked about this. You know, you you, you you were in the ring with so many people, you forget. I never even remembered working with with Lil. But Michael found a tape of me refereeing a match with Lil and Little Dove on Atlanta TV uh, that he sent me. So it's, yeah, it was, uh, I was in the ring with a lot of them, but a lot of them I just can't remember. I don't ever remember working with Little Brook. And I know I never worked with Little Beaver either. He, they, I think they kind of. Yeah, he. I don't. I don't know. By the time you got in the business, he was pretty much starting to stick pretty much close to Canada, and that was the Northeast. He was, uh, from our standpoint, he was one of the older guys, right, Beaver? Yeah. That were working during that. Yeah, yeah, he and uh, Sky Lolo was was another one. Scott, but Scott Lolo stayed in the business a long time because he he was uh, he worked for Eddie Einhorn. Another one had a big name back then was that Fuzzy Cupid. You remember him? Fuzzy Cupid. Yep. 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 God, there was a slew of them one time, especially male ones. Yeah, a lot of my I mean, I I, don't, I wasn't around that many. Just, just the ones Little Book had. Those were all the ones I was ever around anywhere. They all came out of St. Joe. Yeah. Originally, um, I'm trying to think what the guy's name was in Detroit. That, um, that Harry Ruby. Was it Harry Ruby? Burt Ruby. Burt Ruby was the was kind of kind of booked the midgets, and then uh, between he and Jack Britton, which was Gino Brito's dad. Um, they kind of booked them, and then uh, Littlebrook kind of led a uh, a walkout and took a bunch of them with him and started his own, you know, operation out of St. Joe. And, uh, and so all the Canadian ones, as they got older and retired, you know, most of them worked through Littlebrook after that. Um, I always felt sorry for those little guys, you know. They, they had it tough. Yeah, they had it tough. Well, Bobby, you told a story on here one time, and I don't remember who who it was. But one of them 
was traveling with somebody and he got stuck somewhere and had to walk a long ways. Well, the, I don't remember. Was to the guy we were working for Ann, and there was uh, when when uh, when Whiffer Watson Jr. came in, he brought a whole. It was like a traveling sideshow. He had uh, he came in. He had two midgets with him, and he had uh, uh, Rachel Dubois, the girl wrestler, and yeah. uh, they they came in, and uh, the two midgets. There was a little Japanese midget, and I know it wasn't little Tokyo, but he might, he was. Uh, not the original one, but he might have been wrestling as little Tokyo or Tokyo Joe or something. And Little John, the midget Little John that worked for many years. Uh, but they were staying back, back then. It, there was a, a, a Days Inn. Uh, they call it the Farmer's Market Days Inn, but it was on the frontage road. And it was it was probably, uh, I don't know, uh, as the way you had to walk to get to the Farmer's Market, it was probably a mile and uh, we were somewhere one night, and uh, was it was it on seventy five off of seventy five? Yeah, right there, oh, right there, yeah. uh, right there on that little frontage road, right there between the market and two eighty five. And uh, you got okay, I got it. Yeah, and I went to I went to they, one of them, the little Japanese guy left his boots uh, in the dressing room, so I just grabbed them, threw them in the ring truck, and on the way, some or when I was going out, somebody told me where they were staying. So I go to the I go to the front desk there at the, at the little days in and I told the guy I said I'm looking I said I said you got a couple of midgets staying here together and the guy goes yeah they're in room such and such he said but they're not there he said they've gone to eat and I said well do you know where they're at and they said yeah he said they've gone to the market there was a there was a cafeteria in the farmers market that stayed open mm-hmm. 24 hours a day right and uh, I went up I drove up there and uh, sure enough they were sitting in there eating and I asked them I said how'd you how'd y'all get here and they said we walked. Now, a mile for me and you, I understand it's a mile regardless of who you are, but me and you can take steps about three feet at a time as our normal stride. Can you imagine how many steps them little midgets had to take <laughs> to get that mile up there to eat supper? And, and then they had to back to their room. Most of them, their legs were the shortest part of them. Yes. You know. And they were bow-legged, too. Yes. Which, which... <laughs> As much as we enjoyed watching them work, and you know, it was that that was probably rough on the hips and the joints too. You know, it. most of them walked with a limp. And it, you know. but you know, I just thought about it that night. I thought, my God, I said these guys, and and that, you know, they couldn't drive. They didn't have a car. They were totally at the mercy of whoever would give them a ride. And and uh, it was just uh, you know, as, as good as good as guys were in the business about letting you ride with them, you know. Uh, uh, it was just I just thought what a horrible life that is. Yeah, and, you know, Could you imagine little, that? Little, little Book was really a midget. The rest of them were the dwarfs. Right, dwarfs. Yeah. right, yes, yes. But uh, could you imagine seeing them guys trying to hitch a ride? I mean, if you didn't know who they were, and just saw them on the side of the road. You know, uh, you probably wouldn't pick them up. I just got a message on. on uh, from Bo James, he said that the only ones left of Littlebrook's troop is uh, Butch Cassidy and Lone Eagle. Um, but you're talking about Littlebrook. You know, Littlebrook, he trained Ed Wiskowski. Can you imagine that? Well, I talked to him last week. Who, Ed? Ed. How's, he, yep. how's, he doing? how's he doing? I heard that he wasn't doing well. Uh, You know, 
Bobby got his number for me, and uh, I called him that, that very day, and I just he he could believe it was me. You know, I I, I hadn't talked to him since we were in Oregon together. That was in '78, so it's been that many years, and I hadn't talked to him. Well, we, had, we had a long talk. First thing I asked him was, well, "How you doing, Ed?" He said, uh, I'm dying like everybody else. I said, yep, I understand that. I left that alone. and He he didn't elaborate on anything. Just, you know, had his knees replaced and stuff like that and shoulder surgery. And then, you know, we just talked about where we were together and times we had. And he's like me, don't watch, you know, any matches anymore. And, you know, you just don't, you can't watch it. And so... Just, you know, something that you would talk about somebody that you was in the business with, you know, years ago. But it was good to talk to him, you know, it, it really was. It was. I'm glad you called him. Uh, I, oh, yeah, I'm sure he was. I, I called him right then, man. Yeah. I called him right then. And we had a lot of laughs. We talked a while, you know. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed it. I, I appreciate you doing that for me, Bobby. Oh, I think, I'm glad I could do that. It really meant a lot. You know, getting back to the time at the, the midget wrestlers, you know, and most of the time they were used for comedy spots and stuff. But if you ever watch certain matches of, of Little Brook and especially Sky Lolo, those jokers could work. And they were stiff, too. Especially Lolo. He was stiff. I can't well, imagine. You know, you, you, know you, you, so there's, you know, which they were, they was used more for comedy and all. I told you about me and Murdoch doing a midget high spot on Watchers TV, and he didn't think that was funny at all. <laughs> I'm telling you, he didn't think that was funny. <laughs> but, you know, that was that was dicky, so we did it. I had heard of what he what, what do, to kick you off of a pin onto the referee? No. You know how you... Uh, y'all seen it a thousand times. I, I, let's say I had a headlock on him. He shot me off. I hit him with a tackle, and I come back. He dropped down. I come back again. He dropped down, and I, I hooked his under his arms with my legs. Oh, yeah. rolled him over. Well, I watched. Didn't think that was funny at all. <laughs> what are y'all doing? I said, killing my territory. <laughs> <laughs> No, guys, our size make it, you know, something different. He didn't think so, but. So, guys, I'm going to have to bail. All right, Jerry. All right, Jerry. Have a great week, man. Yeah, you you, you doing all right, Jerry? You too, Jerry. Uh, Yeah, yeah, what time do you have to get up in the morning, Jerry? I think he's dropped off already. There you go. Hey, he, gets, he, he, gets up, out. he gets up pretty early. Yeah. He gets he's probably already asleep. <laughs> You're talking about those midget high spots. You know, there was guys used to we used to there was guys did stuff that, that they got away with that you know, Dicky Dickie used to do a deal where uh the referee would count one, two and Dickie'd pull his arm out and hit the mat for three. Yeah. And the guy'd stand up and throw his hand up in there and then Dickie'd make a little comeback on him. Uh there, there was, there was, or a guy, you'd go into a crisscross, and the guy'd stop right in the middle of the ring, throw both hands up there, and go, "Hold it!" The guy'd stop yeah. and hit him. 
You know, so there was yeah. there were several of those. Or point that, up uh, at the point up at the ceiling, and the guy'd look up, you'd nail him under his chin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> These actually the first thing you talked about. They did something similar. They actually used that as a finish in the Mobile Territory, probably once every two or three years, where the guy the the heel had have the. Uh, the baby face pin and the baby face to slip his arm his hand out and tap the guy on the shoulder and he would think it was the referee. Oh yeah, the referee would tell him yeah. to break and it up. And he'd jump yeah. up and uh and again then the guy'd sneak up behind him and small package him and, and pin him. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Hmm. Or the partner'd come in the ring and a tag and and uh, you know, do that and uh, the guy'd think the he got the pin. Uh but uh we were talking, uh, Bobby, uh, before we went on the air, uh, me and Mike, about uh, Ring of Honor wrestling. Have, I don't know whether you've ever seen it at all, but have you seen it in the last couple of months? I've seen it. You know, I can't tell you much about it, but I've seen it. It's, uh, it, true. <laughs> it has, you know, it's on Channel 36 now on Saturday nights right. at 11 o'clock. It's, it's, it's partly owned by the Gannett outfit that owns, you know, Channel 11, and that's part of their distribution. But uh, they've got a show coming here to Atlanta here in the next couple of months. I I was just kind of flipping through and watching a little of it because Saturday Night Live was still a, a new show that night. But uh, but at any rate, they within the I'd say the six months that I've been catching it here and there, uh, their crowds seem to have picked up. You know where they're running from, mostly in the Northeast. And uh, their production values are quite good. Uh, and uh, they've got too many champions, of course. But uh, it, uh, WWE is interested in them to the point that they're trying to buy them out now, it seems. But uh, they've become, you know, it's a, it's a mix mash of, of what I would consider old-time wrestling and, uh, and, and what's going on now. But uh, it, it, it's... It's got pretty interesting. If you hadn't looked at it in the last, I'd say the last two months, uh, you might want to give it a give it a try. And I'd say that to the folks that are listening to us too, because it's uh, it's not WWE, and uh, at the same time, it's not what we remember as Georgia Championship Wrestling. But it's it's something different, and uh, it's uh, I, I'm finding it fairly interesting. And that's you know I have. Uh, they certainly wouldn't care one way or the other what what my promotional thoughts on it were. But uh, if if you're trying to explain a regional booking office or something that's not WWE to somebody, uh, this is a little bit more of an example of uh, of what that was. So I just you know just just say as a thought that uh, uh, our listeners might tune it in just to see what it's what it's all about. The guys are smaller. Uh, but uh, and and a lot of them work the independent circuit too because Ring of Honor is not running enough running enough shows for them to uh, you know have exclusivity on the guys that are working for them. But, Where are they uh, going to run at when they come here? I I didn't catch the end of it, but if you watch this Saturday night uh, between eleven and twelve, uh, I'm sure they'll promo it because, like I said, they run in Florida fairly frequently. Uh, and uh, they run in the uh, northeast uh, almost exclusive. Uh, 
so if uh, you watch the show Saturday night, though, this coming Saturday, I'm sure they'll promo where it's going to be. I might record it just to see where they're going to run. I'm just curious. Well, the only place I can think of, because I was thinking when Jay and I were talking about earlier, the only place I can think of that they may even, you know, have room for a, of course, I don't know what what they were are apt to draw, but I was thinking maybe the Gwinnett Center or something like that. That's a that's a uh, ten thousand just... seat venue. Uh, I was thinking that's more a... along the line of the Tabernacle downtown. I was thinking more that's yeah something like that. But let me. I don't know if they would. Here. I don't know. I guess they could be set up for it, or maybe I don't know if it, Center Stage is still they, inact, active or. They ran a show called uh, Ring of War, Ring of uh, Ring of Honor, War of the Worlds, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to see here where it was. Uh, but they're doing some trading off with uh, with some uh, uh, Asian promotion. But you know, it's it for a for a promotion such as them. I mean, the UFC poll results were. 140 people, uh, 148 people responding to the UFC 211 uh, promotion that just took place, the, those matches. And this Ring of Honor World Poll results got uh, 100 and almost 180 responses on thumbs up and thumbs down, which is how the observer rates the uh, matches within a uh, within a card. So uh, they they seem to be doing pretty well. And uh, so I just uh, thought I'd throw that out to everybody, that uh, if uh, uh, folks listening in, if you've never watched it, it's uh, Channel channel 36, Saturday night, between 11 and 12, and they should promote where they're going to be. Okay. And I don't know what's going on with with Lucha Underground. They've been running reruns of the last last season. Um Lately on the El Rey Network, and I have not heard when they are supposed to start back. So I'm assuming they're going there's to start a, back. I'm assuming that they're they've got a, renewed for another season. There's a group called, and this is something else that I knew nothing about, and it really only appeals to us at the standpoint of what they're drawing. Uh, but uh, there's a group out in California called Gorilla Incorporated. And they must run matches uh, uh, two or three times a year, and they, I think the 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 ringside is like twenty five dollars, and they can hold like four hundred people where they hold their matches, and it's it's really an underground deal because their matches are really hardcore. They're not the guys where they're, you're putting them into the uh, you know into the uh, barbed wire and stuff like that and hitting them with baseball bats but it's 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 really you know hard hard hardcore wrestling in the sense that the guys are really working and uh and it's pretty believable and they sell out like in five minutes from the time the from the time that the card is announced uh but i'll I'll try to pull up on something on that because that's that's really another unique promotion that's that's going on now on the west coast. Uh, of these guys that most but they only run you know that few times what do their guys do in the meantime i guess they, work they're, other they're independents yeah, so you yeah, cars and pump gas no no <laughs> they're working in they're working independent shows these are guys that uh have worked for the wwe in a lot of places 
They're still uh, selling cars and pumping gas because even independent, <laughs> even independent shows. You know, you talk to these guys and you say, "How long you been in the business?" And they'll say, "Oh, I've been in the business five years." Well, how many matches have you had? And they'll go, "Well, uh, uh, twenty-five," because you know there's there's not enough independent wrestling for these guys to make a to go every night, right? Um, you know, at any rate. Uh, well, how many but, but, guys are working every night now? I mean, no, really no, even it. WWE doesn't work every night. I mean, it's just no. that that's gone. It's gone. And and you know these, I don't know. Did uh, you talk about promotions? And this is a uh, you know, I, I don't want to name any names because this is uh, friends. Uh, friends were involved, but there was a local promotion running up in Tennessee, and they got a TV and ran a TV and was doing it the right way. What we consider the right way. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were running the TV, doing doing uh, running it on a little uh, cable channel or whatever channels they had up there, and uh, uh, they uh, they ran one little spot show in a high school that was pretty well promoted and drew a pretty good, decent crowd, and uh, they tried to run a big show Sunday up in Chattanooga in yeah. a 4,000-seat venue and drew 35 people. Oh, that's ridiculous. It is just not 1970 anymore, and and you know it's it's things don't happen like they used to. Uh, I think from a promotion standpoint, and people I've talked to, it could have been handled a lot differently. Might have drew a little better, but you know it's right. very very difficult these days. It's just 35. Yeah. I mean, you know, why why go for a venue like that? Why why not be even somewhat? Uh, non ridiculous and say something that'll hold eight hundred to a thousand people. Oh well, uh, I, don't, I can't I can't answer that and neither can a lot of other people. But it's just, you know I, Bo James gave me one of the funniest lines I've ever heard. He went over to uh when T N A was still running pretty regularly. They ran Johnson City, I believe is where he said they was and he went over there, he said he went over to see what kind of crowd they had. And he yeah. told me he said they could have shot a bazooka in there and not hit anybody. Wow. Not so you know, yeah, it's just these these. It's just very difficult out there, and I don't mean to be Absolutely. overly critical of these independent guys, but uh, you know, I mean, they it is what it is. It's the only place they got to work, and and God bless them. And uh, uh, the majority of them are working for nothing because they just want to. They just want to want to be in the business, and uh, yeah. Uh, and I, in a similar vein, I have not heard an actual number but just from the photos I've seen of the uh, the Continental Reunion that Dennis Gale ran a, a few weeks ago down in Dothan they seem to have, have drawn a, a very good crowd Dennis Gale um, sent me a note today and said he had a great time down there I thought he would call in tonight uh, 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 did I say Dennis Gale or Dennis Mitchell Dennis Mitchell Dennis Gale. sent me a note yeah, he sent me a note. I thought he might call tonight, but he said he had a great time down there. Um, you know, I just uh, the uh, actually Dennis is here. There? Hang on, let's put him on the line. Is he on there? Uh, he's. We'll be in a minute. Dennis, you with us? Guys, how y'all doing tonight? A great show. All right. Any idea what uh, what the size of the crowd was in Dothan down there? I would say anywhere from. I would say my opinion for about three to four hundred. That's not bad at all. That's not bad. Not bad at all. Uh, Dennis, was it an autograph? Was it an autograph show, or did they have matches? Both, both. I was going to let you guys know. I bought an autograph book from Arn Anderson there, 
and I got a couple autograph pictures from Jerry Stubbs, and I, and I got an autograph from Nature Boy Paul Lee down there. You didn't hold a gun on him, did you? No, I didn't. I asked him what happened <laughs> to that lady that tried to shoot him with thirty-eight caliber down there. He he said that she got only three years probation because she didn't have no previous criminal record on her, you know. He said that she, she got three-year probation, and it was a pretty good crowd. I got to talk to Ron Fuller a little bit, and, Michael, I want to ask you something, man. There's two sides to every story. When you started wrestling for Southeast Wrestling, was Louis Tillake the booker, or, or was he gone? No, no, no. When, uh, when I worked, uh, the time I worked, well, the whole time I worked for them, um, both in a little short full-time run I had, plus the Whenever I would just go down there and do television, Bob Armstrong was always a booker. No, Louie booked in uh, in '79, and I didn't. Yeah. I was in the business in '79, but I was working for a um, a little outlaw group called uh, Tri-States at the time out of yeah. Pensacola. There's two sides of every story. I, you know, I, you know. Lately, also too, I've been listening to Austin Idol's podcast too. You know, yeah. And he he made a claim. I don't know if it's true or not. In that back in '79, when you wrestled in Southeastern, because Louis Tillet wanted him to come down and wrestle for Southeastern when Hogan was there, and Austin Iron and his wife was driving Lincoln Continental, and when he got to the arena in Panama City, allegedly Billy Spear put a hit on him. Have you heard that story before? Uh, I wouldn't have been in '79 because Spears wasn't there in '79. Well, I was just wondering. That's what Spears I was, was there in 78, and he came back in 84. That was the only time they were there together at the same time was in 84. Well, now, Spears may have been around, but he wasn't yeah, He wasn't working for the office at that time. Well, and now you've heard it. Well, uh, no doubt about it. You know, when Austin said that, you know, when he got to Rena, you know, Ron Fuller and the police and the sheriff's departments were there, and, and they took him to the cell where Billy Spears was at because they arrested Billy Spears, according to what Austin said. And Austin confronted him in the jail cell when, where, where allegedly Billy Spears was at in Panama City in that time frame. And he said, I better not ever see you again. So I just thought I'd bring that up, guys, because I never heard that story before. I've never like heard it either. I mean, I, Spears did some crazy stuff, but I don't. You know, what was his reasoning? What was he putting a hit on him for? Allegedly, yeah. Austin said that Billy Spears was jealous of Austin. I'll come in because Louis Tillet was new Booker there at the time during that time frame. Well, and, well, you know, Spears wasn't was no longer wrestling at that point. He was a manager. So well, there was room. Would have been room for both of them to work. I mean, I, I don't know. It's an awesome story. Yep. I've I've had a couple of other people ask me about it, but I I don't know. I mean, hey, it just doesn't here. it doesn't fit Spears' personality from what I remember of him. I mean, like okay, I said, he did right. some crazy, stupid stuff, but I just don't see him getting so bent out of shape to do something like that. He'd been in the, in the business by that point, you know, you know, fifteen twenty years, and and he's he's had plenty of opportunities to to. Uh, have had uh, somebody replace him or take his spot or whatever. And, you know, as far as I know, he never did anything like that. But who knows? He may have, he may have, he may have talked some particularly uh, uh, potent stuff that that time and got a little paranoid. Who knows? Uh, But the spirits have had enough money to uh, put out a hit on somebody. 
Uh, well, yeah, oh yeah. Spears was, you know, Spears was from a very wealthy family. Spears, Spears' mother was, was a, uh, a, and that you know he used that as a gimmick when he was a manager, you know that that he was the wealthy mama's boy. But that was that was that was a shoot with him. His mother was was very well known uh, in uh, the Orange Park section of of Jacksonville, which was the the hoity-toity, you know, society section of, of Jacksonville, and, and she was very well off. In fact, uh, one of the last things I ever heard about him is he finally got out of the business because she passed away and he got all her money, but then I think he went all through it. And yeah. and uh, the last time anybody heard from him, well, he had supposedly died, and then he called Bob Kelly and said, no, I'm still alive, and, and uh, he had been through some stuff, and... Uh, he was supposedly going to come yeah. to Mobile, and he never did. And, and since then, he has legitimately died. So, but no, he was. Oh, yeah. His mother was. Uh, his mother was was well off. His family was well yeah. off. Uh, as far as that goes. And also two, and also two guys Go had to get All time down. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I just wanted to know, uh, Dennis, uh, uh, who actually worked uh, uh, on the card down there for the show. You mean down that Continental that I went to? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a match. Yeah, let's see who worked down there. They had a couple no names, the Dirty Blondes or something like that. They wrestled. They had Jimmy Gogan and Ron Fuller wrestled them with Robert Fuller. Robert Fuller's birthday was the next day, and and they had a cake for Robert Fuller. Ron and Robert going in it. They threw the cake in one of the Dirty Blondes guys' face. You know. That then match, me and my friend Trent McDaniel was there. He's a Facebook friend of yours too, Michael. And yeah, at yeah, the end of it, he was he was ticked off. He I guess he was asking, trying to find Dennis Gale and Mac Matt Murray was there. And Dirty Blind was ticked off at him too. And and Mac Matt Murray called back and said, "I never would book you with your attitude like that," you uh-huh. know and. You know, you know. Isn't that, I is Bobby, isn't that those two guys from Tampa? Could be. The dirty Blondes? They're sort of heavy be, yeah. yeah, sort of. They're sort of mobile. Yeah. And also, two guys, I bumped into, I got to talk to Charlie Platt, shook his hand. He, me and my friend, we ate at Denny's across the street from the Clarion on Ross Clark Circle. And all that, I met Charlie Platt down there. I guess it was him and his girlfriend. I was wondering, Michael, do y'all know the story? That's his wife. Charlie it's Platt? his wife. It better be They've his wife. Yeah, that's his wife. Okay, it's his wife now. Okay. Yeah. I was just wondering because I guess y'all know that Charlie's not doing his TV show no more. I was wondering, do y'all know? Yeah, I heard that. I heard that, but I don't didn't know the story behind it. Yeah. And Jay, I want to ask you something. I know you're a radio guy and all that. All right. Let me uh, before you do that. How how many years has Charlie been doing that TV show? Oh Lord, Southeastern. He did. Yeah. He did seventy eight to eighty five. Then Gordon Sully took over when they moved up to, up to Birmingham, and Charlie Platt came back in around eighty seven, eighty eight time frame. He's talking, he's talking about his local show, his his the top yeah, his local show. show. He had been doing, been doing that. Yeah, twenty twenty five years. I know. You know, he helped build that station too. You know, that station WDHN is a second rate station compared to WTVY yeah. down there. Because TVY yeah. down in Dover is like the Channel 12 here in Montgomery down there, if that makes any sense. And 
all that. So, and hate, he been hate there a long time. He has. He's a legend down the Wiregrass. No, no doubt about oh, it, guys, and uh, no doubt about it, and all that. And well, Michael, I was going to ask you too, man. What's some future guests y'all gonna to try to get on the show coming up? Well, I, I've I've reached out to I'd spoken to Ron Fuller when we were in Mobile, and he said Good. he was interested in doing the show. And then, but I, I sent him a message through Facebook, and I don't know how often he checks his private messages, but I have not heard back from him. Just to uh, follow up on him, and I I don't have anybody else at this point. In line, um, I've talked to uh, a couple people and said at some point we'd have them on, but uh, nothing, nothing lined up at this point. So, um, yeah. yeah. What did you want to ask me? What did you want to ask me about radio? Then there's a good radio site you ought to go into, Jason. Message board. You heard of RadioInfo.com boards before? I have. I, a, yes, I have, and I was on it for a while. But uh, they went down for a while, and when they did, I got away from it, and I never got back on it. And I know that they came back up, but I, I haven't been on it for a long time. And it's, it's called educational. Watch yeah, it's a real educational list, all the difference. Yeah. And it, yes, I am familiar with it. Yeah, it's a real good website. It's educational. It lists all the cities and the states, all the foreign countries. Yes. and Yep. So it's. So it's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, same way. Yeah, okay. I just I gotta ask y'all something too. I might ask you this last time with NWA being bought by Billy Corgan. How do you think Billy's gonna do with the NWA now? I don't know be? what he what he bought other than maybe some videotapes, but and the I guess the licensing, the right to to license it out, but. You know, I don't see him doing any more with it than than what uh, Bruce Tharp did with it, or or Bill Barons, or uh, the, the other well, several the, the people who had the rights to it. The only thing that that uh, <clears throat> the only thing that I can say about this this deal is is just for, <clears throat> and I won't mention no names. I just got it from a reliable source. Let's put it that way. There's somebody that I believe and trust. Uh, this Corgan's got a lot more money to invest. Now, whether that's yeah. a good thing or a bad thing, I guess it depends on whose bank account it is. But uh, at least they said that they said Bruce was very limited in, in what he could invest and spend in the in the brand. And and you yeah. know, but I agree. It's what do you have? What have you bought? Uh, the right. the brand is not what it used to be because the talent's not there and the network is not there to move the talent around. So, uh, right. you know, I, I, I don't know. I hope, good luck. To, you know, I hate to see anybody throw their money away. Right. The people that, the people that remember the NWA uh, as being an elite league are pretty much gone, you know. Uh, so he's, he's kind of starting from, from you know, uh, from the beginning again. I, my understanding is he bought the belt. He bought the name with the logo, and somehow or another, Paul Bosch's material may still be out there that's available for him to use. But uh, if he's if he's got a lot of money, then as Bobby was saying, you know, we've you've seen folks that had a lot of money that spent a whole lot of money on a professional wrestling brand that lost a whole lot of money. So I wish him the best yeah. of luck. 
Yeah, it goes but back to Jay's point. You ask you ask nine out of ten wrestling fans today. You mention NWA, and they 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 think of Ric Flair, the Four Horsemen, and Jim Crockett. Or they think yeah. of NWO and they think of the rap group, you know. So there you go. Yeah, the yeah, rap group, no, no doubt. But, that, but, no that, doubt but that's it, what yeah. they know because that's what you know. Jim Crockett Promotions was the last, you know, yes. thing that was national nationwide that, that used that name, even though the, there was no longer an NWA at that point. Uh, that's just what yeah. you know. Yeah, that's guys. That's pretty interesting. I. I tell you what, I, I miss the good old days of wrestling. Continental Dennis Gale does a good job. You know, we could say that Dennis Gale is a lot more competent than Greg Green ever was in Dud- Dudley, Georgia last year, guys. <laughs> I tell you, it's a world of, world of difference there. You know, what, what Greg Green did last year in 2016, you would never think it would happen in our lifetimes that you have a promoter that was out of his league. You know, maybe he was out of his element or something, you know, way over his head. And I never thought I'd see today that top what Austin Idol did to Fred Ward. And, you know, I never thought I would say that. But, guys, I tell you, tell you a lot of crazy stuff goes on with wrestling. I have a couple of guest suggestions for you, Michael. You might want to consider if you don't mind. Sure. I was wondering, is there a way you could maybe try to get – Terry Garvin Sims on your show? Uh, yeah, I can reach show, out to Terry. We used to be friends on Facebook. I rarely see him on there anymore, so but I can reach out to him. Yeah, um, I just wonder if you could maybe maybe try to get him on the show some sometime. And I was wondering maybe could get out trying to think of who else you might could get on your show sometime. I was wondering maybe is there a chance that you could get maybe Barry Windham? I wouldn't know how to get in touch with him. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I just Yeah, I yeah just you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it, but Mike doesn't have everybody's name at, uh, or, or number at, their, at his fingertips. You'd think the guy did, but honestly, he doesn't. There's, yeah, no one, there's, there's a few that, that you know, I, I've thought about asking and then, you know, I know from from various dealings with them, I, they're just, you know, we've got a very balanced show here as far as that, and basically I don't want somebody to come on to try and work us. We've had guests on like that before. I mean, people suggested when he was still alive reaching out to Ox Baker, and I'm like, no, because I don't want Ox on, you know, trying to sell us a cookbook or autograph pictures or anything <laughs> else. So, you know. Um, yeah. But, you know, you have to be careful about that. I mean, you know, as far as that goes, because I think our show is unique to where the four of us have enough experience across the board as far as what we all did at various parts in the business and everything. And the guests that we have had on, we've selected very carefully because we try to be, you know, not to just have these guys come on here and blow smoke up everybody's butt like they do every other show that they go on because they go on with people who don't know any better. It's like if you watch shoot interviews. I can watch a shoot interview yeah. and watch a guy telling these stories to these guys, and I'm sitting here shaking my head like, I know good and well that's not true. A perfect example right. is uh, Burhead Jones 
did one uh, several years ago what? with a guy that uh, it was in South Carolina. You know, in South Carolina, and and he told this story about you know he was the first uh, first uh, black man to wrestle a white man in Panama City when he wrestled Billy Hines. That part was true. Right. Uh, it happened in 1968, and then but the part that he hit was next was, and Bobby, you'll appreciate this because you worked in this building, I'm sure, you're, during your little <laughs> brief run down there. He said that he and and Billy Boy Hines sold out the Rainbow Garden in Panama City <laughs> and had 10,000 people in the building. Well, the Rainbow Garden is a roller skating rink that holds 2,500 people. So if they put 10,000 people in there, if you've got, they, if you've there got was a whole lot of burglary going on in Panama City because that was the entire population of Panama City in 1968. They'd have just done closed circuit all over the town, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you know, pretty, I just I, I I respect the people that listen to us enough that that you know there's enough other people out there that that allow these 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 you know bullshit artists a, a, a forum to go in and, and work the marks, but you know they ain't doing it with right. us. We, we, yeah. and it's, that's a two way street too, Mike. We don't want our audience to think we're trying to work them, and then exactly. we don't want the guests to come on to think they're working us. You know, and I, I, I certainly appreciate all the, the, the suggestions and everything, but I just have to be, you know, careful as to who I who I give a forum to. And I try and, you know, like I said, there's these guys that go out there and they do the circuits and they put on, you know, they've, they've got shoot interviews and all this other stuff to sell. But, and, you know, but unless it's somebody who's a little different, and that's why, you know, I, I've had guys like the, the, the last couple of weeks that we've had guests on. You know, Al, Alfred Tissonetto never stepped foot in a ring. He's never written a book about anybody. But wow. Alfred was unique because of his his fanness of faith. That his pure admiration for somebody he his, never his, met. His, yeah, his getting so much into Bobby Shane and going to the point to where he got to know Bobby's family. Yes. You know, teachers that he that he taught school, you know, you know, taught Bobby at school and just people like that, that and just you know, they just took him to heart. And and, uh, and Jay's never had the opportunity to meet Alfred, but Bobby and I have certainly met him several times and been around. The guy is just an absolute prince of a person. Yeah. And uh, I guys. And, and the same way with, with Rock Rims. Rock Rims, you know, is much younger than all of us, and and you know. Had nothing, knew nothing about, you know, the the heyday of the territorial wrestling, but got interested in in San Francisco, and uh, you know through meeting Ron Starr and everything, and just you know, has has taken that to heart and has done a whale of a job doing the history or the history on on that territory, and you know that's just different. But those guys will never get, you know, they'll never have the opportunity to do an Austin Idol show or a Ric Flair show or whoever else has got a myriad of, of uh, a podcast now. But, you know, but the, that's why yeah. I try and, and have them on our show because it makes us different. And we, even though we stray sometimes, we try and, you know, the focus of this show originally was the Georgia Territory, and uh, but we've beaten everybody in the Georgia Territory at least twice. So um, 
<laughs> yeah. We spread and our now, wings a little bit. And now that we've told and, you we're not going to work if you'll send twenty nine ninety five to P.O. Box. Right. We'll, send you, we'll send you the Sheik's prayer rug. And, uh, That's right. <laughs> send you a we'll we'll send you a genuine show. feather out of Chief J. Strongbow's boat from the night uh, Ernie Ladd stuffed it in his mouth. Stuffed it in his mouth. Yeah, from his, from, from his, uh, his, his headdress. But, well, uh, during all y'all's years, y'all been together on Peach State. Later, when Jay joined, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you something. Of all the interviews y'all had with different wrestlers and all, what what was the best one that y'all y'all done, and what's the worst? Bill Bowman um, and Joe Turner. <laughs> Bowman and Turner, yeah. yeah uh, uh, Pepper Martin was a great show. Um, yeah. Kelly was a good show. Bob Kelly was a good one. Yeah, Bob Kelly. Bob Kelly. Was good. Um, Dickie Steinborn, the first sixteen times he was on, <laughs> but yeah. uh, he got to where uh, we had to book him out of town. But uh, but uh, Dickie had some great stories, and he hooked us up with a lot of people. Uh, uh, he put us in contact with Jackie prison. Fargo, and Jackie was Jackie was a fun show. Um, was Jackie? What Jackie wasn't the one that get, was giving out everybody's phone number. Who was that? No, it was it, Billy Wicks. Billy Wicks was giving out everybody's phone phone numbers shows. and kind of. But Jackie, Jackie, between getting beers was was a fun show. I I'd, uh, followed that up and had Donnie on with us uh, and and had hoped to have the two of them on together to have the uh, only reunion of uh, the fabulous Fargos on on the air, but I just. Uh, just never could hook it up before uh, before Jackie left, and now we've lost Donnie. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I would have to say, and I, and I have, have thought, and I don't know, um, this was before Jay joined us, but I don't know how Bobby felt about it, but I think the absolute coup of, uh, that we've had on this show was was having El Mongo on. Yeah. Because nobody even knew where El Mongo was. Nobody had talked to him other than Charlie Smith. Nobody had talked to him. And I don't know how many, and he was gracious enough to, you know, be on our show with us, and it was it was yep. fantastic. Yeah. And what was the most disappointing? What's that? Uh, I was just I was just going to say, isn't it interesting how many people died after they've been on our show? No, yeah, I mean, yeah, you think about it. Uh, Gorgeous George Jr. that we've lost, Billy Wicks we've lost, Dutch Savage we've lost, Bowman and Turner we've we've lost both of them. Kelly's gone. Um. Uh, the, the both Fargos. Um, you know, just just if you go on on my uh, my Facebook page for PSA Pandemonium, I list every time we have a special guest on here. I try and find a photo of them, put them up, and put the link to their their show that they did with us. And if you go through that, I think there's like uh, thirty, forty pictures on there. Probably half of them are, are gone now. Well, uh, and, the, 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 can I still? I don't know if you guys have heard the new the new uh, Willie Nelson album or not, but uh, I'll still want yes, his I've song titles. I'll, I'll 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 steal one of his song titles. Despite what the internet said, Bo James is still with us. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed I've really enjoyed the folks that were behind the scenes, folks that have written books and things like that. Uh, the the guy we had on just a week or so back that did the Bobby Shane background and to the links that he has gone. Well, another perfect example that. what what you're talking about, Jay. Uh, when we had you on before you joined us, you know you were a guest with us. Uh, our friend Randy Corrin, who you know if you you ask a, a, a even a Georgia fan, 
who is Randy Corn? They would not tell you. But if you if you knew all the things that Randy did, as far yes. as behind the scenes and everything, and and all the travels and all the stories that he that Randy can tell, you know, it's it's guys like that that I, and I kind of take uh, a cue. And I decided when I when they asked me to take over as, as the main host of this show, I kind of took my cue as to um. To what Scott Teal did when when he used to do the whatever happened to publication. Yeah. Scott did I not go that. out for the the you know the big names that everybody knew and all that. He would find the guys, and we've had guys like this on our show. Uh, uh, Charlie Fulton was another one that's now gone. Uh, yeah, we've had Greg Lake on our show. We've had guys on that have, have been on our show that were, you know, were were not big names in the business, but they were guys that. Territory was built on guys like that. Right, yeah. I, I thought, you know, uh, and that's the way God Scott does. did when he when he did his whatever happened to. He would focus on those guys because those guys, Jim Lancaster's another one. This this done yeah. our show that that you know their careers. You know they <clears throat> they weren't trying to come on our show and, and tell everybody what a big star they were. Because they knew they no. weren't, but they but they were they were decent, reliable guys that made a good living in the business, and they were what the business was about. Jim Lancaster and they were bored me. He could tell you everywhere he worked, what date he worked, who he worked with, what the finish of the match was, and and you know how much his payoff was. Another one that would have been a great guest had you know he still been alive when when I we started doing this show was Ted Allen. Ted Allen yes, was that way. Ted Allen that. knew every place he ever worked, who he worked with, what the finish was, what his payoff was, and everything else. Because guys like that, you know, they weren't interested in, you know, how many autographs they signed or, or how many magazines had their their picture on. They were in this business because they loved it and they they did it for a living. Jerry Oates is a perfect yeah. guy that is on here with us every week. is a perfect example of yes. it. His brother yes. Ted was a great, uh, great guest. I mean, we've had, you know, some people that that have never done any other shows, and That's you know, good. and probably yeah. will never get asked to do any other shows. But they were yeah. some of our best guests. And no doubt about. It. And also too, Michael, of all the guests that y'all have, which ones? Would you say was the worst guest y'all had on the show? That y'all I don't think we've ever had a bad guest on here. Uh, Butcher Vashon, uh, you know, uh, he, he would stop me every five minutes to remind me to hawk his book, but uh, but he was <laughs> doing it yeah. as a rib. But you know, I don't think I can't think of anybody that well, really. Uh, we've had some that were a little dry, but <laughs> we've had but, another, you know, Dennis. This is not, we're not. I'm not talking about you when I say this, okay? Understand, I'm not talking about you. We had a guy that used to call and all he wanted to talk was Southeastern. I would be ready to jump off a bridge before he got off the phone. You know, I, I would be here and I'd, I'd be thinking to myself, I never was rude, but I was thinking, Michael, hit the mute button, hit the cutoff button, do something. You know, Remember I mean, that, so, Dennis. So we have some of those, but not you. Not you was another guy. and. He no, may no, still no, be no. listening, yeah. and if he is, that's wonderful. But I just, you know, I understand. You know, I try to add a different call to y'all the show when I call. Oh, you we know, look forward I, to you calling. You, you, you're you you are. Like I said you're our foreign correspondent, so that's exactly you're part of the family. Right. So. I tell you you're what, I did, our, our like family. I told y'all, 
like I told you many times on the sports station I listen to and call in on here in Montgomery, I give y'all a lot pretty good publicity on y'all on their show. You know, well, we, we appreciate, appreciate it. it. And I know that about it. All right, guys. Y'all have a good night. Thank you. All right, dude. Thank right, you. Well, thanks. Well, guys, we are right to the wire. So, um, yes, we I'm are. Go ahead and uh, cut it short. And Jay, uh, try not to break nothing next week. Yes, man. Uh, we need you, buddy. I'll, we need I'll you. Try. Don't don't we? <laughs> I'll try my. I'll, don't don't call. Don't sneeze. Right. Don't breathe hard. Yeah. I'm gonna sit right here till next week. All right. I hear All you, right, guys. Man. We will get together and do this again next week. It's been a great show. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thank good night. Bye-bye. Good night, everybody. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.